welcome 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 i would like to welcome you to episode 326 of the unpopular podcast this is the man the myth the legend Jalen hunter and here at the unpopular podcast i'm not really asking you to agree with me i'm just asking you to hear me out so new reports are coming out about aaron Rodgers and the trade that's likely to happen and that is him going to the jets uh the reports are coming out saying that more than likely that the deal is going to get done on draft day or on draft night. Of course, the thing that's been holding up the deal is the number one or first round, first round pick that I think the Jets would have to give up or the or the, the Packers want for Aaron Rodgers. So th- what they're saying is more than likely that the deal is going to get done on draft night. And. While, no, it hasn't happened yet, it's pretty much a a done deal that Aaron Rodgers is going to the Jets. Uh, The move that the Jets have made, getting Alan Lazard, trying to make a play for Odell Beckham Jr., which, of course, those are two names that were on, that was on Aaron Rodgers' preferred list of players to play with. Uh, More than likely, the deal is going to get done. And I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast, so I'm going to talk about it now. And that is expectation. You see, when you get a player like Aaron Rodgers, usually the expectations are high. Usually the expectations, especially when the Jets feel like they are a piece away. The Jets feel like they are a quarterback away for being a viable contender for Super Bowl. And they feel that Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback to get them over the hump. I think we need to damp or I think the Jets and I think that fans in general need to damper their expectations. Now, I understand that. In my opinion, it would be a colossal failure if the Jets at least don't make it to the playoffs or make a deep run in the playoffs. Because, again, you get Aaron Rodgers, you you have a really good defense, you have a really good offensive line, you have, a, you have pieces, you have weapons. And, again, the Jets feel the Jets would not make this move if they didn't feel that they were a quarterback away from being viable. And if you look at the division that they're in, there's a lot of, I mean, outside of we don't know what's going on with the Patriots, um, the Jet, I mean, the the Bills, of course, you have to worry about with Josh Allen and, 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 the, and that crew. And then, of course, with the Dolphins. The Dolphins, while they have a really good team, you don't know about their quarterback which is, of course, too, and his health, and if he's able to stay healthy, and if he will be able to stay healthy in in key situations. But I think that we have to damper our expectations a little bit. I th- Again, I'm not saying that the Jets can't make a deep run. And I'm not even saying that they can't make it to at least the AFC Championship. But what I'm saying is that kind of needs to happen. Because expectations are different now. Usually when we talk about the Jets, the expectations aren't that high. But with a player like Aaron Rodgers comes different type of expectations. Especially when 
for lack of a better term, it's these aren't my words, but people have said he has been more of a headache than you see. One thing that I've always said, and one thing that people say, so this isn't an original thought, is that you are, your talent will allow people to forgive a lot of character flaws, if you want to call it that. Again, the reason why players some players have got i'm not going to say any names some players have gotten more opportunities than other even if you don't feel like they deserve the opportunity is because they're talented and a team is going to they understand all right he's a headache off the field off the court but he's still one of the best players in the league or he still could possibly be one of the best players in the league. he still could possibly help us win multiple games you see no team I say that a lot. <laughs> Side note, I say you see a lot. I realized that last episode, but we're, we're here. All right, let's get back to it. No team would ever deal with a player that continues to tippy-toe the line of, I'm going to retire, I'm not going to retire. I'm not coming back if you don't sign these players. I'm going to go into a darkness retreat, and I'll let you know. Uh, during the beginning of free agency no team would uh, would would tolerate or hinge their present and future on a player like that if they were not a top tier talent and that's what Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers I mean he's a four-time MVP well, no, this the he did win a Super Bowl, but he hasn't won. He's only been to one Super Bowl, but he's still widely considered one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But here's why I say you should damper expectations. Again, he, Aaron Rodgers has only been to one Super Bowl. And you were playing on a Green Bay team that really only has to had to worry about what maybe one or two like I understand making this move. You expect Super Bowls, kind of, or you expect to be viable for a Super Bowl, kind of like when the Denver Broncos made the move to get Russell Wilson. Now. I do. St- I will contend that I do. St- I do still believe in Russell Wilson. I think that last season was more of an anom- was more of a, a, an anomaly than anything. I think that you know, poor coaching, poor scheme, uh, injuries, especially when you talk about some of the most of his wide receiver core. Now, yes, I think a lot of that was Russell Wilson, and he just didn't have a good season. But I do still believe that Russell Wilson is good enough for a bounce back. And the Russell Wilson that we've seen, what, the last nine years is more indicative of who he is instead of the one that we saw last year. But when the Denver Broncos got Russell Wilson, a lot of people, including myself, thought that this could be the move to propel them to Super Bowl heights. And when I say Super Bowl heights, I'm not saying win the Super Bowl, but at least be in contention to win or to 
play for a Super Bowl or to be one of those teams that we talk about that should be should be one of those top tier teams that could could be viable for a Super Bowl. That's the furthest thing that we got. You see, in football, a lot of things have to go right. You have to have a good quarterback. You have to have a good offensive line. You have to good have to good. You have to have a good running back. You have to have a good coach. You have to have a good defense. There's so many things that have to go right for your team just to be viable for a Super Bowl. And while yes, the the Jets check a lot of those boxes off. There are still some boxes that I feel are up in question, i.e., is Robert Sala the coach to win them a Super Bowl or to to put them in position to be the Super Bowl? I think he's an incredible coach. But as we've seen the last few Super Bowls, a a a defensive or a offensive minded coach has won the Super Bowl. And as we've seen. Robert Sala is a defensive-minded coach. I mean, he was a defensive coordinator for the 49ers, I believe. So, and on top of that, look at the look at the team success or the lack thereof team success that Aaron Rodgers has had. He's had one Super Bowl. But outside of that, what he's been to multiple playoffs. He's been to a, NFC championships, lost most of them. He he coined the phrase, you know, I, I, if I hope that they're able to, you know, what if what happens if they play? We want to get a home court advantage for the for the uh, playoffs. They got that, got bounced by the 49ers. What I'm saying is this. Unlike the Russell Wilson hype going to the Denver Broncos, I feel that the expectation need to be need to be dimmed a little bit for the Jets with Aaron Rodgers. Uh I I think I think that they're going to be a good team. But you also have to realize Aaron Rodgers is about, and, and I don't think Aaron Rodgers is scared. I don't think that he's not good enough to compete. But let's not be, let's, let's, let's not be naive here. Aaron Rodgers now is not the Aaron Rodgers of before. Obviously with age, uh, he has been beat up. He's been sacked a lot. He, Aaron Rodgers even though he did win a MVP, what, two years ago or a year ago, he is not the same player. Does that mean he's still good? Yes. He, I'm not saying he's, he's trash, but he's not the same Aaron Rodgers that if you place him on a team, he is the de, decide, de, you know, de facto option that can lead you, that can propel you above. He needs more help. And now when you're in a conference that has Patrick Mahomes, that has Joe Burrow, that has 
Justin Herbert, that has Josh Allen, currently that has Lamar Jackson. That's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. So while I think the Jets will be good, and I think that if they don't make a deep playoff run at at least the second round or at least the NFC champ, AFC championship, I think it would be a failure, especially with all the moves that they made. But for the people that's expecting the Jets to be Super Bowl contenders with Aaron Rodgers, I don't know about that. And honestly, to be to be completely honest with you, I think the Jets believe that. Because they wouldn't be making all these moves if they didn't. They didn't if they thought that Aaron Rodgers was going to make them serviceable or make them a tad bit better, they wouldn't be making all these moves to try to get Aaron Rodgers. At all. The Jets feel like Aaron Rodgers puts them in the best position to win a Super Bowl. And all I'm saying is I don't know about that right now. Let's move forward. So Cam Newton. Cam Newton's a very smart individual. I'm not I'm never gonna say he's not intelligent. I think Cam Newton's having a tough time reading the room. Now, again, I will preference this by saying that I am a huge Cam Newton fan. Huge Cam Newton fan. Cam Newton is one of my all-time favorite players to watch at the quarterback position. But I think that he's having a tough time reading the room and and really understanding what is currently happening. So Cam Newton came out with a video dispelling some narratives that's been out about him. The biggest one being He's uh, he's unwilling to be a backup quarterback, and he came out in the video and said, that's not true. I am willing to be a backup quarterback, and these are the players that I'm willing to be a backup quarterback for. He named Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, Tua Tagovailoa, Malik Willis, Jalen Hurts, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, and Sam Howe. There's two trains of thought, and two things can be true in this scenario, in this situation. And I think two things are true in this situation. I think Cam Newton is incredibly intelligent. And I, and he know I, I, I think that he is strategically calculated about what he's doing. Because even if, let's, let's just dissect this list real quick. When we talk about Cam Newton and we talk about the height of Cam Newton, we know Cam Newton to be one of the best or one of the greatest dual threat quarterbacks we have seen. 
his ability to use his legs as well as his ability to throw the ball. He is one of the greatest dual threat quarterbacks we've ever seen. I put him in the same class, maybe even better than a Michael Vick, than a Lamar Jackson. You know, he is that who's Cam Newton has been. So when you look at the success of Cam Newton, he wants to be in a offense or it would behoove him not to go to an offense that is predicated to a dual threat quarterback, which is why you see Deshaun Watson and the Browns on this list. Deshaun Watson, no matter how you feel about his off the field, off the field incidents, he is still a positive, solid dual threat quarterback. Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, the best dual threat quarterback in the league. Justin Fields, dual back quarterback. Also with Lamar Jackson, He said wherever Lamar Jackson goes. So he's not really just holding himself to the Ravens. Justin Fields and the Bears, dual threat quarterback to Atanga Valoa. Not as much a dual threat quarterback, but a dual threat quarterback. Malik Willis, young player, dual threat quarterback. Jalen Hurts just went to the Super Bowl, dual threat quarterback. Josh Allen to a dual threat quarterback. Then he had two names. That kind of jumped out to me. And that was Aaron Rodgers and Sam Howell. Now, I already understand why Sam Howell's on this list. You know, you're on you're in Washington. Sam Howell's very unproven at this point. But the head coach is Ron Rivera, who, of course, Cam Newton saw his most success with. Of course, we know about the 2015 uh, Carolina Panthers. And you know what? Side note, while yes, Cam Newton found his his most or saw the most success of his career with Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera has has saw the most success in his career with Cam Newton. Ron Rivera has three winning seasons in his career. All of them was with Cam Newton. That's all I'm gonna say about that. But the biggest, so so I understand why Sam Howell's on this list in Washington, of course, not really proven. You would be with the coach that, you know, you were the most successful with. Sam Howell right now, as we know, could possibly be a dual threat quarterback. Not, of course, at the level of a Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson, not even Justin Fields. But, you know, we understand. But the biggest name that jumped out to me was Aaron Rodgers. And one of the biggest one of the biggest reasons why I jumped out is because Aaron Rodgers, unlike any of these other quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, nothing like Lamar, nothing like Justin Fields, nothing like Josh Allen, nothing like Malik Willis, nothing like Jalen Hurts. Aaron Rodgers isn't the most, you know, it isn't that much of a dual threat quarterback, especially this point of his career. And, And actually, he really never was. He could run if he had to. But he's not that much a dual threat quarterback. So I was wondering, why the hell is Aaron Rodgers on this list? And it hit me. We don't know how long Aaron Rodgers is going to be here. You see, while Cam Newton doesn't mind being a backup quarterback, one thing that you have seen or one thing that you see about this list is you have a lot of young people so he can be a mentor. 
Of course, Malik Willis, uh, Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson to a certain extent. You have most dual threat quarterbacks. And one thing we know about dual threat quarterbacks is they, there is a high tendency to get hurt. And I only say that because while, yes, Lamar Jackson, I mean, while Cam Newton doesn't mind being a backup, he doesn't want to be a backup. He can be, but he doesn't want to be. So he also wants an opportunity to start not saying that he's wishing injury upon injury. Anybody do not hear me say that. But there's a good chance. I mean, I don't think I think every single quarterback on this list. Missed at least one game last year. But again, that Aaron Rodgers kept pointing out. And again, the reason why is, and I think the reason why he's on this list is Cam Newton or Aaron Rodgers has been flirting with retirement for the longest. So I think Cam Newton understands wherever Aaron Rodgers is, it's not going to be long for me to be on, to be a backup by the time he retires and I can just slide into place. You see, this list is very calculated. So I will never call, you know, Cam Newton dumb. This is a this is a very calculated list. And it's very and one thing that the video did was again distill or dispel the rumors and allegations that Cam Newton is quote too big to be popularity wise, too big popularity wise, to be a backup quarterback. But remember, I said two things can be true. And I also started this by saying, I think Cam Newton's having a tough time reading the room and understanding just what is what right now. I was wondering, what came out of Lamar or Cam Newton's pro day? I was wondering that. I was like, okay, Cam Newton threw at Auburn's Pro Day. Let me say it. And, and I wonder what came about that. Like, did any teams call? Who, who called? And he also commented on that, saying that his phone has not rang after that. And... From from all the reports that came out, the the throw, you know, the pro day, it, it, he had some really nice throws. He looks, he still looks sharp. Now, of, co- of course, there were, there's always the video going around of, you know, aired passes, but for the for, for the most part, it lo- it seemed pretty good. So I was wondering, damn, I wonder if anybody called, and he, of course, came out and answered. You know, his phone has not ring. When you're somebody, let's just take this out of sports. Let's put this into life perspective. When you're somebody that is looking for a job, that needs a job, that currently does not have the job a job in the field that you want it to be, you have to there you can't come out and say, these are the only teams that I'm willing or the this is the only place I want to work at. Nobody else. And I'm not saying he said nobody else, but he did say these are the only quarterbacks that I'm willing to back up. That also means that 
most other people in this in the, that's not he feels he's a better than because I think that Cam Newton feels he's better than Sam Howell. I feel he's better than Sam Howell, but he feels like a he's better than B. There's absolutely no shot of him starting because you see Patrick Mahomes wasn't on this list. You see Joe Burrow's not on this list. You see Justin Herbert's not on this list. Or C, he just doesn't want to play for them. Like you see Carolina's not on this list. Mac, uh, the Patriots aren't on this list. The Seahawks and Geno Smith's not on this list. You can't make demands when there's not even a high market for you right now. Again, I preference this by saying I am a huge Cam Newton fan, but I I I see what's being what what's going on. There is not a market for Cam Newton right now. And trust me, if there was, you see how many quarterbacks started last year? And you telling me that Cam Newton didn't get a call last year and was perfectly healthy, apparently? So, <laughs> while yes, I would love to see Cam Newton back in the league, and I think that Cam Newton is still good enough to be back in the league. It's it's hard for me to see Cam Newton say there's there ain't 32 guys who are better than me. Yet you're not in the league, bro, and I'm not and I, and I agree with this. I agree with that. I agree that there's not 32 starting quarterbacks better than you, Cam Newton. I agree. But I also understand that you're not in the league, so you can't then pretty much isolate a a, a certain sector of the league. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's ten teams. So what what is the other twenty-two gonna do? What are you telling the other twenty-two? The other twenty-two teams are saying, I mean Uh, why would I he clearly thinks if he gets on our team, he's gonna start. Or why would we do that? And even again, and even these ten teams, like, okay, um, actually, pretty much nine teams because we don't know what the hell Lamar Jackson's gonna do and Aaron Rodgers. So I just I don't think I I understand what he what Cam Newton was trying to do and ultimately did was dispel the notion that he is not willing to be a backup quarterback so I understand that and I respect that 
you're not going to appreciate that because, you know, that's one thing about perception, especially in sports. Once you have a perception, and that's actually not just, that's in life. If you have a perception, it's very hard to dispel that or it's very hard to overcome a perception that other people have of you, especially other people that kind of dictate a lot of things or dictate your job, your work, your your source of income. So I respect Cam Newton for saying that and doing and coming out and dispelling that that rumor or that perception of him or that he's too big to be a backup. I I I respect and understand and like that he did that. But what I don't like and what I don't understand is how you can then come out and put a list out when you don't even have again he said it not me he said his phone hasn't rang you have nobody calling for you at all so how is it now that you can say hey i am only going i'm only willing to back up for these quarterbacks what <laughs> you don't like we don't I don't know how you can do that, bro. We're not in the league. So you're telling me. Because right now the teams that are on this list are the Browns, Ravens right now, Bears, Dolphins, Titans, Eagles, Jets, Bills, Commanders. You're telling me if the Cowboys call you, you're not going? Because why? You feel you're better than Dak Prescott? Or you're not willing to back up because what you feel like you're better than Dak Prescott? You're telling me if. The the Bengals call you. You're not going because why? You feel like you shouldn't be backing up Joe Burrow? You're telling me if the Chargers called you right now, you wouldn't go because you feel like you shouldn't be backing up Justin or Justin Herbert? If the Saints called you right now, you, you, you wouldn't accept it because... Why, you feel like you're better or you should be starting over a Derek Carr? What I'm saying is, man, two things can be true. I think Cam Newton is very intelligent, and I think that he knew what he was doing when he came out and put that list out. And dispelled a lot of uh, perceptions about him. But I also think that it missed the mark completely on a lot of areas. And that is, of course, the list that he came out, that came, that he that he released and told us about. In the same breath, telling us that after his pro day or the pro day at Auburn where he threw, he has not received calls. Meaning... It's not even lukewarm for Cam Newton. It is cold. It is it is freezing cold. And then you're coming on here pretty much saying this is the only thing this is the only avenue I'm willing to go. Like what? I don't know, man. It's a little weird to me, but then again, I'm not a former MVP. Hell, I never even threw a football in the NFL, so I wouldn't know. Let's move forward, man. Let's jump over to basketball real quick. So, 
Andrew Wiggins returned to or has returned to the Golden State Warriors uh, after being out for about two months for family issues. Um, was it two months? Two weeks. Two months. About damn near two months uh, for being out for family issues. Let me first start by saying I don't care what happened. Um, it's none of my business. I hope everything is well with Andrew Wiggins. I hope everything is well with his family. I'm not here speculating what happened. I'm not here trying to figure out what happened. It's none of my business. Uh, I just hope the best for Andrew Wiggins and his family, whatever they're going through. I know that there's a nasty rumor going around about what happened. And if that is true, hey, I hope it's I hope that you deal with it accordingly. If it's not, I don't understand why somebody would spread that. Uh, it's kind of crazy. But I'm not here to dispel or to confirm anything. I'm just saying I hope everything is okay with Andrew Wiggins. But let me get to the basketball aspect of this. One thing that we know, it's it's very apparent. We've seen this the last two months, and 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 it's it's very apparent that Golden State has absolutely no shot of winning a championship without Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is their most versatile defender. You saw that last year. They there were times that he would guard uh, John Morant. There was times where he was the primary uh, guard. For, or a primary defender on Luka Doncic, and he was a primary defender on Jay, Jaylen, Jason Tatum. So there is no shot. There is no way they're not. Andrew Wiggins presents something that nobody else on the team does, and that is his his three and D, his ability to defend, his ability to to. Kaminga was kind of is kind of similar to Andrew Wiggins as far as body type, his ability to defend. But Kaminga is still young, and Kaminga he's he, it, it just takes time to develop. We're going to talk about time in a minute, like shortly, but it takes time to develop. So we understand that Andrew Wiggins, how we I see how important he is to the Golden State Warriors, and I know that Golden State, and I think Golden State understands they have no shot of winning without Andrew Wiggins. So with Andrew Wiggins coming back shortly before the playoffs, that is kind of a glimmer of hope. Now, yes, I understand you still have Steph Curry, you still have Clay Thompson, you still have Draymond Green, you still have Jordan Poole, and even without even without uh, Andrew Wiggins, they have been. Still one of the best home teams in, in in the NBA and still one of the worst away teams in the NBA. Dante DiVincenzo has been really good. Uh, Gary Payton II is still really good at, at, you know, defending and ball hawking. We know what we're getting. You know what you're getting from this Golden State Warriors team at this point. But we kind of talked... I talked about we talked about this with uh we talked about this when when we were talking about when we go over to the women's side uh LSU and Iowa LSU and Iowa No LSU and uh who did they play before Iowa um darn cuz they were losing that game too Virginia Tech LSU and Virginia Tech. 
And I talked about momentum. And I and I said how important momentum is in a, in a, in the span of a basketball game. And if you how how powerful and how dangerous it is like momentum is to have and how dangerous it is to lose. The same can be said about entering into the playoffs for the, for basketball. Actually, for any sport, you your team wants to have good momentum entering into entering into the playoffs. And while Golden State they did have a, a bad loss against Denver the other day, uh, you know, without Nikola Jokic. Thinks uh, what's the name? Clay Thompson missed the game winner. You want to have good momentum going into the playoffs, especially when your team has struggled a lot this year. Well, struggled mildly this year on the road, and you understand what your team is capable of. But the reason why I'm talking about momentum is because it's very hard going into the playoffs without momentum. And it's not just with team, it's with players as well. Again, Andrew Wiggins has missed nearly two months and is missing the last two or three games of the regular season, meaning the next time that we see Andrew Wiggins step foot on the floor, it will either be in the A, play-in tournament, or B, playoffs. And it's... One thing that I and that's one of the biggest reasons I talked about this with uh when Brooklyn when Brooklyn had KD and Kyrie and James Harden what they were trying to do is because all three of them they only played like 16 games together I believe all three of them didn't really play together what they were trying to do was build momentum and build chemistry in the playoffs and that is damn near impossible because you're going up against a a team that more than likely has momentum and that has understanding about who is who and what who is going to do what so while you're trying to build something you're going against a team that already knows who they are so you don't have to worry like they don't they're not focused on that they're focused on beating you now one thing that golden state doesn't have to worry about is chemistry well that is also a lie Golden State does have to worry about chemistry because inserting Andrew Wiggins into the starting lineup changes the entire aspect of the team. Don't believe me? They inserted they inserted Gary Payton the second back into the back into the lineup, not even the start the lineup. That changed changed how many minutes Dante DiVincenzo gets, changed when you know, how many minutes Jonathan Kaminga gets. Now, I don't even think Jamichael Green, who was coming on, like coming, who was starting to catch fire from three, he wasn't even in the lineup. So now a player like Jonathan Kaminga, a player like uh, Dante DiVincenzo, a player like Gary Payton II, a, a player like Jordan Poole, all their time is going to change now that Andrew Wiggins is back. So now you have to redefine your role because you're probably going to get less minutes. You're probably going to get less touches. Your assignments are going to be different. And while 
this may not this probably isn't uh, this is this is going to affect Steph Curry in a positive way. This is going to affect Klay Thompson in a positive way. This is going to affect someone like Draymond Green in a positive way. This is going to affect someone like Kevon Looney in a positive way. This we have to see how it's going to affect the younger players or the bench players. Because again, Dante DiVincenzo, who has been solid for this team, isn't going to get as many minutes as he did without Andrew Wiggins. Gary Payton II, Jermichael Green may not even play anymore. Now you're looking, what's, what's going to happen with Anthony Lamb? He may not play. Jerome, uh, Ty, and that's another thing, because the, 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 the rosters and the rotations shrink in the playoffs. So while you may trust... 10, 9, 10 players in the regular season, your rotation shrinks to 7, maybe 8. So think about that. Steph, Clay, Draymond, Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney. That's five people. Who are the other three? Let's say, yeah, who are the other three? Dante DiVincenzo, okay. Gary Payton the second, okay. Jordan Poole, okay. So now what you're saying is Jonathan Kaminga, is he out the lineup? Now what you're saying is Jermichael Green, is he out the lineup? Because at that point, one thing that you didn't hear me say is a backup center. What what, what happens with Anthony Lamb, who's, who's played big minutes? He's definitely probably out the lineup. So all I'm saying is, While, yes, I think Golden State's best shot of repeating and best shot of making a deep playoff run is predicated to how quickly it takes Andrew Wiggins to get back to form. Because, again, it's very hard missing two months and your first action is in the playoffs or playing. So I get it's going to be tough. But I also am curious to see how this is how the team is going to fare and how the team because one thing that you do not see is a team as a deep the whole deep roster thing doesn't really matter in the playoffs because again the rotation shrink. You want seven, maybe eight players that you can trust. And I don't know. I I think I'm very curious to see how Andrew Wiggins looks because Andrew Wiggins did miss some time in the regular season and came back and he was not near nearly close at least offensively where he was because it, it takes time he was missing badly from three and that was one of the biggest revel or one of the biggest reasons why they won outside of his defense his ability to hit shots his ability to get to the rim his ability to shoot threes do not rem- do not forget. Andrew Wiggins is still a number one overall pick for a reason. So I am interested to see how Golden State blends in or blends him back in. And I'm not saying that they can't do it. And and it's for the veterans, it's not going to be tough because it doesn't really affect their minutes. Maybe Kevon Looney, but it doesn't really affect their minutes. Like Andrew Wiggins doesn't affect Clay or Steph's minutes. Maybe even Draymond. Maybe Draymond, but not that much. It's it's when you get to the Jordan Pools. It's when you get to the, you know, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, how and who has been improving and gotten better for year, like as the year has gone on. How does that affect them? 
It can affect them in a positive way. It can affect them in a negative way. I have no idea. But it's going to affect them some way, somehow. So maybe could be for the better, could be for the worse. I don't know. We'll see. Move forward. I was thinking, and I was looking at the playoffs, because we're about three or four games away from the playing tournament. Now, I was looking at the top, let's say, eight teams currently in each conference. And I'm talking about so NBA. And I was wondering, and what I was going to do, what I'm doing now is I'm going to talk about probably the top, let's say, five. Top five teams in each conference. And who is the least or who they are trying to avoid. Now, obviously, some of these some of these teams aren't going to play each other. I get that. So I'm not saying, you know, clearly these aren't going to be first-round picks. Or first round, not all these are going to be first-round matchups. But I wanted to see which team is another team avoiding the most. For example... Let's start with the Western Conference because the Western Conference, in my opinion, is the is the 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 closest to each other. And again, I'm gonna do probably the top five teams, right? Right now, currently, you have Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix, and the Clippers. And I'm actually gonna top six because I think you have to include Golden State because we don't know Golden State can finish as far as 10 they can finish as high as five so we'll see the Denver Nuggets the Denver Nuggets well all year of course they've had Nicole Jokic who's an MVP candidate uh could possibly win his third straight um I'm gonna give my awards this episode as well seeing as though the regular season is coming to an end um but you have Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray has, I'm not going to say he's back to 100%, but he looks a lot better than he did the beginning of the season. Aaron Gordon has been really good, even though his shot has been, like, he, yeah, he can't shoot. But Aaron Gordon has been good. Michael Porter Jr. has been great. But one thing that, and I talked about this maybe a couple episodes ago, one thing, one question that I have about Denver is how they're going to fare defensively. How can they fare and how are they going to fare defensively when they have to go when, you know, a, someone's going to have to make Nicole Jokic's guard when you're going to have to make Michael Porter Jr. You're going to have to make Jamal Murray guard. So for Denver, I think the team that they want to avoid the most surprisingly is the Los Angeles Lakers. When you look at the Lakers best two positions, that is the center or Yes, center and forward, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. You saw a year ago, Draymond Green, not offensively, but Draymond Green give Nikola Jokic fits defensively. Well, tack on, now take away Draymond Green, put in Anthony Davis, and you're putting in a player that can give you 50 any night and an incredible re- rebound, an incredible shot block, an incredible defender. And then on top of that, now you have LeBron James. It's, I just feel 
Dem- the Lakers are peaking at, even though they did just lose to the Clippers. We'll talk about in a second. But the Lakers are peaking at the right time, and they're getting healthy at the right time. You know, D'Angelo Russell's been good. Je- uh, Vanderbilt's been really good. Rui Hachimura's been okay. You know, Malik Beasley's been good. I just feel Denver is – they do not want to play the Lakers. I, I think a lot of people have the Lakers going on a deep run because, you know, the Lakers present a matchup problem for damn near anybody in the West uh, when they're on. And I I, uh, I think Denver wants to avoid the Lakers of all, at all costs. So I have Denver avoiding the Lakers. The Grizzlies. The Grizzlies can say that they don't want to, like they're not scared of anybody. They can play anybody. This that, and a third. And and I get it. I, I get the confidence. I get all that. You you have John Morant and, and being led with when John Morant is your leader. You know he he's one of the best guards in the league. He's you you and you have Jaron Jackson Jr. who could possibly win the Defensive Player of the Year. Um, this is just a good team, and. One team that I think that they want to avoid is the Phoenix Suns. You see, there is different when you have when you have to go against Kevin Durant, when you have to go against uh, you know. <laughs> You have to go against Devin Booker. You have to go against Chris Paul. Now, while I do think that the the Memphis Grizzlies have a decisive advantage over the Suns when we talk about the matchup between John Moran and Chris Paul, they don't have a decisive. Well, you can kind of argue between Jared Jackson Jr. and DeAndre Hayden, but nowhere else. <laughs> like, yes, Desmond Bain is good. Uh, Dylan Brooks, he's a pest, and and he he's defensively pretty good but out they have no they have no answer for Devin Booker they have no answer for Kevin Durant I don't think anybody in this league except for maybe one or two teams has an answer for Kevin Durant so I think not to mention while yes Phoenix is still trying to figure out how to play with each other when Kevin Durant is in the starting lineup they are 8-0 so you know um I think Memphis, you don't want to play a team where you don't have an answer for at all. And Phoenix Phoenix is one of those teams. So I think they're going to try to avoid Phoenix. The Sacramento Kings. Sacramento Kings, Kings statistically is like the best offense in the league. Uh, they're also one of the worst defense in the, in the league. And this is Sacramento. This is the Sacramento Kings' first time in the playoffs since what two thousand three, two thousand one, something like that. So, the last thing you want to do <laughs> when you get when you you're, you've already had a playoff drought, you know that you're a very young team. And don't get me wrong, this is a really good team. Um, this 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 team is one of the most surprised teams in the league. But the last thing that you want to do is go up against a team that pretty much knows who they are and are champion or are playoff laden. Like they they know how it, what it's like to be in the playoffs, and that just so happens to be the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors do not, or the the Sacramento Kings do 
not want to go against the Golden State Warriors, which is kind of shaping up. That could be what it is. But, yo, imagine that. You have not been to the playoffs in, in what, damn near 20-some years, in 20 years or something like that. You're already, you're not good defensively, but you, you're not good defensively, but you are pretty good offensively. And the first team that you have to go against is the defending champions. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand Golden State has struggled this year mightily as far as being away from, I mean, they're nine and 30 away currently as we record. They're nine and 30 away from home. Like, I understand that they struggle from home. I get that. But. Imagine like you're they're still the defending champions. They're still 33 and 8 at home. They still have Steph Curry and they're incorporating <laughs> they're they're incorporating Andrew Wiggins, who is a former number 1 overall pick back into the lineup. Like come on now. Uh, that is a tough first matchup for a team that's not good offensively or not good defensively and on top of that while Golden State is an older team, they like to run just as much as the the Sacramento Kings. So, you know, I, I just I just feel ooh, that's a tough matchup for the Kings, man. That is that is a tough one, and that is of course Golden State, the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns, I kind of yes, they are eight and. Oh, when Kevin Durant starts or when Kevin Durant's in the lineup. And it's really tough, you know, when you have Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul. You also have DeAndre Aiden. You have Torin Craig coming off the bench, Akogi coming off the bench. Like, you have a, a solid team, even though the bench isn't as strong with the Kevin Durant acquisition. But, you know, it's still good. But I kind of see the same, you know, it's kind of the same thing that I feel about Sacramento. They haven't played many games with Kevin Durant. Now, yes, I will attest that Kevin Durant is probably the easiest superstar to drop on any team and he'll be successful because of his ability to adapt and his offensive skill point, skill set. But the king. The sac- the Suns, the last thing you want to do is go against a team that knows who they are, and that is the Golden State Warriors. I mean, and on top of that, kind of like I talked about with Memphis and uh, Memphis, John Morant has a decide- decisive advantage over, you know, over uh, – Chris Paul well the same can be said about arguably the best point guard still in the league and that's Steph Curry Steph Curry going to you know yes Devin Booker still good but Klay Thompson is still Klay Thompson even though he's not defensively what he was due to the injuries and everything Klay Thompson's still solid defensively you know go the Suns always even though they did be like 30 or something the Strungs the Suns do struggle going against Golden State and I just don't think they want to go against a Golden State Warriors. That's just that's just not what they want to do, um, especially as a first round matchup. No, they probably won't do, it, but they they could. That's the last thing you want to do is go against because the Sun. Now, yes, I understand that you you still have Kevin Durant, but you can throw Andrew Wiggins at Kevin Durant. You can throw Draymond Green, who's one of the greatest or who's probably this generation's best defender. I just don't think the Suns want to go against them. And you have the Clippers. 
The Clippers are an interesting team because when you look at their team on paper, they have arguably the best team in the NBA. You know, Kawhi Leonard, Russell Westbrook, when healthy, Paul George. You know, that they, they, they have a solid team. And they play very well. Very well. Um with or without Paul George, even though they I think we think they need Paul George to win a championship. Uh, but the Clippers are an interesting team. However, the team I do not think the Clippers want to play because of their style of play, because of the absence of Paul George. I don't th- and and I just don't think they want to play the Memphis Grizzlies. I think the Memphis Grizzlies is the team. It's a younger team. Westbrook against John Morant. You know, Zubac against Triple J, Kawhi Leonard against you know Dylan Brooks. And stuff. I just, I just don't think the Clippers want to go against that because the don't get me wrong, man. The they are at home. The Grizzlies are thirty five and six. Now, yeah, they have a losing record away, but they still, they still are averaging one hundred and sixteen points, one hundred and seventeen points a game. And I just, I just think that 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 grind, especially when you have a team that is that is not the healthiest, and you have a, their superstar, you don't know, you know, health wise what they're going to give you, and you need a lot out of Kawhi Leonard. I just don't think they want to go against the Grizzlies. I think the Grizzlies just throw, have a lot, throw a lot at you, and I just don't think they want to do that. And that is the Clippers, of course, going against go uh, the the Grizzlies. And I'll do Golden State. Uh, Golden State, honestly, man, <laughs> it's about, you know, you still don't know what they are at home. I mean, away. Away, they're one of the worst teams. Now, it could be a flip-the-switch moment. I don't know. But I just don't think that as your first-round match, I, I <laughs> Golden State is a uh, athletically challenged team, especially without Andrew. Now, with Andrew Wiggins, they're they're a lot better, but they're not the most athletic team, and they're not the biggest team. You know what team is pretty big, Pauls? The L.A. Clippers. The L.A. Clippers, I mean, you have Westbrook. You have Paul. I mean, uh, Kawhi Leonard. You have Subach. Like, they are a big team, and... As we saw in the regular season, the Clipper, the Golden State Warriors struggle with their size. They struggle with, you know, switches. And, and they're, they're coached by Ty Lue, who's a really smart coach. They understand, yo, if we get Steph Curry on any time Steph Curry is guarding a big guard or Kawhi Leonard, you, you go at him. So I just, especially a team that we have to see if they're going to flip the switch or not and how they're going to look with Andrew Wiggins, I don't think that the Clippers want to go against or Golden State wants to go against the Clippers round one. That's just that's, – or I don't think they want to see the Clippers. That's just – I just don't see it, at least right now. They don't – no. Let's go over to the East. The East is a little, it's a little more – understood about who is who and what is what and, and how teams are going to play and, and and what are the team strengths and weaknesses. Let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks. This is very simple. 
Milwaukee, one thing that Milwaukee has had, I think on the entire majority of the Eastern Conference is they've had a mental advantage on all the teams. I mean, you'll go and you they're a good team. Do not they are they're the best team in the league. Giannis, Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, um Bobby Portis. They are one of they are the best team in the league. And and when you play them, they have a a cycle. They're a huge team as well. They have a psychological advantage on a lot of teams. Like God damn, we got to go into Drew Holiday. We got to go against uh, Giannis tonight. The one team where I don't think they have a psychological advantage that is Boston. I think Boston understands. All right, yeah, we know who they are, but we still have Jason Tatum. We have Jalen Brown. We have. Al Horford, Robert Williams. I do need to see where Robert Williams is in the playoffs and if he's going to be able to stay healthy. Um, but I, I think now again, I understand that most of these aren't going to be first round matchups. I told you that, but I think Milwaukee definitely need, wants to avoid Boston because I think Boston is the only team that can really, really doesn't care if that's <laughs> if they have Milwaukee on the front of their jersey, they're going to play and. I, you you kind of saw that last year once that once they beat Milwaukee, granted with out Chris Middleton, and they beat Milwaukee with Chris Middleton this year. I just think that that whole psychological thing is over. Not to mention Boston, you can tell they're on a mission to get back to the finals. They feel like they lost. They feel like they gave one away, and they deserve to be um, in the finals. So I I just think Milwaukee wants to avoid. Boston of all, all cost. Yeah, the Boston Celtics. Surprisingly, the team that Boston has uh, struggled with this entire year has been the New York Knicks. Areas in which Boston is not strong, of course, that is an offensive-minded point guard uh, and, of course, a active big. Because while, yes... Um, Al Horford is really good. Blake Griffin gets some minutes. Uh, Robert Williams is still good defensively. They don't really have an answer for a Julius Randle, for a Jalen Brown. Uh, or no, Jalen Brown, Jalen Brunson. For a R.J. Barrett when he's on, Emmanuel Quigley. And, and those young spry players I just I think Boston wants to avoid the Knicks at all costs. I mean, the Knicks won the season series and the Knicks are better than a, a lot better than a lot of people are giving credit for. I don't know how they're fair in the playoffs. That's always the thing about the Knicks, how good they're going to be in the playoffs because they're usually good in the regular season, but I do know in the regular season they have had Boston's number better than better than anybody and I think Boston wants to avoid the Knicks at all costs. The Philadelphia 76ers. The team that Philadelphia could possibly have the MVP in Joel Embiid has James Harden. Tyrese Maxey has come on, been really good. This team is really good. And I would not be shocked if this team makes it to the or makes it to the finals. But one thing that this team struggles with is opponent force. And that is. While Joel Embiid gets his, and Joel Embiid is going to be good forever, when a team outside of Joel Embiid 
comes with pressure, comes with aggression, comes with physicality. The the Philadelphia 76ers struggle. And there's one team that's lurking, and they just beat them, and that is the Miami Heat. Miami Heat, even though Miami Heat have not had the best season, um, the Heat know. The Heat play Philly the best that they played them, like out of everyone. And when you have a Jimmy Butler, even though they do struggle as a team, there's just, there's some teams that play better when there are certain matchups. That's just that's just we know this. Like Golden State is <laughs> Golden State can get destroyed by a Pistons team, but when they play Boston, they play the best they ever played this season so I just and the same can be said for Miami man Miami has struggled all year yet and still when they play against a good team they they come to play and I think that the the you know the physicality that they bring they the the Philadelphia 76ers do not want to see that so I have Miami for Philly the Cleveland Cavaliers we I just talked about them what last episode. We know who who Cleveland is. We Devin Book or Devin Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley. You know we we know who they are and we know where they're good at. The problem is outside of you know uh, outside of Evan Mobley and what. Jared Allen, they're not the best at they they're not the biggest team. And when they run up against a Milwaukee, <laughs> they look, I don't care Okoro, uh I don't care if he's playing the best ever. There is not one person in this league that can stop Giannis on a regular basis and Cleveland has absolutely nobody on that team. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell can put up 40-point games, and, and, and shouts out to him, but no. you No. There's a reason why Milwaukee averages seven, 117 points a game, and Cleveland averages 112, or 113 if you want to round up. It's, nah. I just... I just think with the size that they bring, especially at the guard position, because Darius Garland is good. Don't get me wrong. Donovan Mitchell is good. But now you're going up against a Drew Holiday, who's a bigger guard, and a Chris Milton, who's a big guard. So I, that's going to be tough. Uh, I just think the the Cleveland Cavaliers want to avoid Milwaukee at all costs. And lastly, what I'm going to do, because I don't want to do Brooklyn. Brooklyn – even though Mikel Bridges has been really good, I just think that they can go up against anybody and lose in the playoffs. New York Knicks. The New York Knicks, again, you don't, we don't know, like, they have been a pleasant surprise, and they have been really good this year. It's just, will that, does that translate to the playoffs? Does Jalen Brunson's success translate to the playoffs? Does does Julius Randle's scoring translate to the playoffs? As we've seen, it hasn't for the last few years. So I want to see how that fares. 
Well, a team that's kind of sitting that that's kind of sitting in the rafters that we don't know what's going to happen is the Toronto Raptors. I think the Toronto Raptors, again, another team that has struggled mildly this year. I mean, they're 40 and 40, but and they they couldn't possibly not even make it out the play in. But the Toronto Raptors with a big, you know, you still have Scotty Brooks, who who is a he's not the most offensively gifted player, but he's defensively a monster. You still have Pascal Siakam. You still have Fred Van Vliet. Like, I just don't. I think they match up very well against the Knicks. Uh, and I just think the Knicks do not want to see the Toronto Raptors. Now, again, the Toronto Raptors may not even make it out the play-in. But we'll see. Um, let me know what you think, guys. Uh, let me know who, what matchups you think is a disadvantage for one team and advantage for another. Uh, the playoffs are in the – well, the play-in is about, what, a couple days, maybe next week. And I'm excited to see, you know. So we'll see. Also – Wanted to give my awards out to who I think. Again, the end of the season is coming very soon. So I'm going to give out my MVP, my defensive play of the year, you know, stuff like that. Let's start with the defensive play of the year. I think it's 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 a very – it's between two people in my opinion. It's between Brooke Lopez and it's between Jaron Jackson Jr. I think Brooke Lopez – the def- the the elevation of his game and the evolution of his game has been crazy because remember Brooke Lopez came to the league couldn't shoot to save his life coming out of Stanford he just wasn't that good he was just a, a bit him and his brother Robin they were just big players a big body he could really be physical down low but when we talk about shooting it's a no now he's one of the best statistical three-point shooters in the league uh, and defensively, he is a monster. I just, I, I think, I think the reason why he, I'm going to give the award to Jaron Jackson Jr. I, the reason why is I think his defense is more pinnacle to the success and more key, tied to the success of the, of the Grizzlies. While, yes, I think that Brooke Lopez's defense is a a reason for the success for the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think it's the main reason because you also have, you know, Drew Holiday, who's an incredible defender. You also have Giannis, who's won a defensive play of the year. I, I think if, if Brooke Lopez wasn't as good defensively as he is, which is probably a bad way to assess it, but that's how I'm assessing it. I think that the Milwaukee Bucks will be just fine. Um, they'll be different, of course, but I think they'll be just fine because of the other players that they have. Jaron Jackson Jr. is pretty much the only solid defender that the Memphis Grizzlies have. Like they're yes, John Morant. No, actually, their other their next best defender is who? Dylan Brooks. So I just think the success that Milwaukee. I oh know that uh. Memphis Memphis has is a lot more predicated to the defense of Jaron Jackson Jr. And I just I just I think Jaron Jackson has been incredible and I have him as defensive player of the year. Coach of the year, to me, this is a no-brainer. Again, I said this before, the San Sacramento Kings have not made the playoffs 
since what 2001 2003 something like that which is like chris weber days and to come as your what first year as a head coach that is mike brown and have one of the best offenses in the league like come on now i have mike brown as as the coach of the year i mean i don't think there's anybody else that you can say yeah you can say Budenhoser or 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 something like that because they're number one in the NBA, but the Kings are one of the are one of the most su- surprisingly talented or surprisingly successful teams this year, and I think a lot of that is because of the coaching of Mike Brown. So I have uh, Mike Brown as my coach of the year. Uh, let's go to sixth man of the year. I think that's also locked up. For a good minute, I, I believe it was Russell Westbrook. You know, Russell Westbrook coming off the bench for the Lakers, and and I, I thought that that was a uh, how it was how the trajectory was going, even though they weren't losing that well. Russell Westbrook was putting up good numbers because you know he was he he isn't really a bench a uh, he's not really a, a bench player, even though he's not a. I, I don't think your team can be. A championship lated team or a championship caliber team when he's your best player, I still don't think he's a you know a a, a bench player. So for a minute, I had the sixth man of the year going to Russell Westbrook, but now that he's not a sixth man and everything that happened with the Lakers and the Clippers, I think is a clear cut no brainer that it's Emmanuel quickly. Emmanuel quick Emmanuel quickly currently is averaging. 15 points a game, four rebounds, three assists, shooting 40, 45% from the field. He is vitally important for the success of the, the Knicks. And while, yes, Jalen Brunson's important, Drew, uh, Julius Randle's important, I think the offensive firepower and the offensive punch that Emmanuel quickly brings to this team has been, has been felt. I mean – well, yes, there's a lot of factors, but I don't think that the Knicks would be 47 and 33 if it wasn't for the the offensive firepower that Emmanuel quickly brings coming off the bench and how important he is coming off the bench. So and I don't think that there's any other player that's in the league outside of maybe Jordan Poole that is as important for their team coming off the bench than Emmanuel quickly. So I have Emmanuel quickly winning a six man of the year. So next I'll go to the rookie of the year. To me, this is this is the the easiest uh <laughs> this is the easiest award to me. There has not been a rookie. Now there have been some good rookies, don't get me wrong. Jaden Ivey's been pretty good. Um There's been some good rookies. <laughs> but there has not been a rookie as impactful as Paolo Bancaro. Now, if you look at the magic Yes, I understand the 34 and 46. Cool. I get that. Um, but Paolo himself is averaging 20 points a game, seven rebounds, four assists. Paolo's had multiple 30-point games. He he is the clear-cut, clear-cut rookie of the year. I don't know anybody else that would even come close to it i mean and that's 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 kind of the funny thing when i was doing this and then building out the show doing this i was looking i said yo who 
who would be the next candidate for rookie of the year? I mean, again, maybe Jaden Ivey. Uh, it might be it. Maybe somebody on the Rockets. I don't. I don't know. Like, there's not another team that maybe a uh, homie from the from the uh, Pelicans. I don't know, but I just I think that it's clear. It's that's probably the most locked up race right now, and that is is rookie of the year and Paolo Bancaro. Now you get to the MVP, and I've done videos about Nikola Jokic. I've done videos about uh, Joel Embiid, and now, of course, we know Giannis is in the mix, and we know how good Giannis is. Giannis, in my opinion, is the best player in the league right now. Uh, and when the when the MVP is as close as it's been, and right now it's, it's kind of been between Joel Embiid and, and Nikola Jokic, other factors start to to weigh more, like certain games and and certain stats and matchups. And I think the other night, well, first and foremost, Denver has been kind of on a on a slide these last few games. Now, yes, they did. They're on a two game losing streak, and they did just now. Yes, Nikola Jokic has not been playing; he's been hurt. I think that is a big reason for that's a huge reason for it actually but I think with Nikola Jokic not being hurt that has hurt his MVP status and the fact of just the other day Joel Embiid at what 52 and Joel Embiid and the Sixers while they're on one game losing streak uh I do think that Joel Embiid has these last the games that even though Joel Embiid didn't play against Nikola Jokic these last few games, Joel Embiid has overcome Nikola Jokic, so I think that Joel Embiid is the MVP. Um, I actually think the players believe that too, even though I don't think the players have any beef against uh, Nikola Jokic. I just think when you see the body of work and you see the offensive, I mean, the offensive output as well as the defensive output that Joel Embiid brings, it's kind of hard to, again, he, I think he's leading the league in, in points, again, for the second year in a row. Uh, 33 points a game, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. He's also one of the best defense defender of uh, rim protectors in the league. I, I just think Joel Embiid has locked it up, and I think Joel Embiid is going to be the MVP. And you you even see how, how close this race is, because when you look now, Nicole Yogic is second, I mean third, to Giannis. If you're talking about the sports book uh, bets and everything, he's second to Gian- uh, third to Giannis. That is no Cole Jokic. But yeah, I have uh, I have Joel Embiid winning my MVP. So who do you who do you guys think is going to win the awards? Let me know. We'll talk about it. I want to jump. I want to. I want to. I want to say something. Um, as we know, when you bring when you bring a player like Kyrie Irving to a team, the team 
he is a player that usually the scheme has to change because of how good of a player Kyrie is. And when you bring Kyrie on the team that has Luka Doncic and that was just in the Western Conference Finals a year ago, you're expecting big things for this team. So people are asking why currently the Dallas Mavericks are sitting outside of the play-in tournament. Probably won't even make that. And you made all these moves to get Kyrie and to or to pair Kyrie with Luka Doncic. They're asking what is going on and why why are Dallas, why is Dallas so bad? And there's a lot of things you can point to. Of course, I've talked about the defense multiple times about this team. Um, I talked about I don't know if the fit works with Kyrie Irving and, and Luka. There's a lot of things. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to shoot Kyrie some bail. I don't think this is Kyrie's fault at all. Now, yeah, granted. Yes, I, I do think Kyrie can play better defense. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think what's going on with Dallas is Kyrie's fault. The same reason why I didn't blame the, the dysfunction that the Lakers were going through. I didn't blame that on Russell Westbrook. Now, you can look at Russell Westbrook and look at, look at the Lakers now after trading Russell Westbrook and, and say it was his fault. But no, the Lakers just got better players that fit their scheme. I'm not saying that's Russell Westbrook's fault or whatever. It's just he didn't fit their scheme. But you have to understand, man, the nature of a player is going to do when uh, Kyrie has been the same way his entire career. He's been a score first point guard. He's never. In fact, I'm going to see what is the highest amount of assists he's ever averaged. Kyrie Irving. The most assists he's ever averaged was 6.9. So seven assists a game. And that was 2018-2019 when he was playing with Boston. He's never averaged. In fact, as a for a career, he averaging five point seven, so pretty much six assists a game. However, for a career, he's averaging twenty three point four points a game. He's currently averaging twenty seven points a game. One of the biggest reasons why I feel Jalen Brunson worked with Luka Doncic. Is because while as we're seeing Jalen Brunson is an incredible player, then Jalen Brunson, I mean, as an offensive machine, I mean, he averages 24 points a game. He was able to adapt and able to, I guess you can say, damper his offensive output to play alongside Luka Doncic because we know Luka Doncic is a ball hawk. You can say Luka Doncic, not ball hawk. He is a player that thrives with the ball in his hand. And you could, with Dallas, 
and playing alongside Luka. Jalen Brunson averaged 12.6 points, 16.3 points, and 8.2. And now he's averaging 24 with the Knicks. So he was able to adapt his game. Some players are not able to do that. And I don't think, again, you're asking, Jalen Brunson's been in the league. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five. Five years. Kyrie Irving has been in the league. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, eleven, twelve. Thirteen years. So you're asking somebody that's done the same thing for thirteen years. In fact, in thirteen years, Kyrie has averaged under twenty points twice. And that was his rookie year and the year where he missed Damn near half the season in 2015-16. So now you're asking a player that is not used to deferring, that's not, well, that's not used to playing off ball. You're asking him to do that alongside a player that's not really used to relinquishing the ball, and that is Luka. But again, it's not Kyrie's fault. This has just been a a terribly constructed team. That's that, that's plain and simple. Let's look at this team, bro. Dallas. Let me let me let me let me know if you hear something similar about all these players. Davis Berton, Reggie Bullock, Josh Green, Tim Hardaway Jr., Jaden Harden. Hardy, I'm sorry. Uh, Justin Holiday, Max Kleber, Javel McGee, Markeith Morris, Frank Nielakina, Theo Pinson, Dwight Powell, Christian Wood, and McKinley Wright. You know what all those players have in common? They're all one-dimensional players. They all have one skill set, one maybe two skill sets. Davis Breton, all he do is shoot. That's it. Don't rebound. All he does is shoot. Reggie Bullock, all he does is shoot. Josh Green, eh. I mean, he's good offensively, but defensively, no. Tim Hardaway Jr., he's not what he used to be, but now he's pretty much turned into a shooter. Justin Holiday, shooter. Maxi Kleba, shooter. JaVel McGee, rebounder. Markeith Morris, I don't even know what he does. Uh, I guess shooter. What I'm saying is this team is full of one-dimensional players. And to be completely honest with you, Kyrie is a one-dimensional player. He's just a pure offensive weapon. And Luka is only a one-dimensional. In fact, Luka is a one-dimensional player. Purely offense. Maybe two dimensions if you want to talk about his assists. Because he, he averages like, what, eight assists a game? Yeah. So, you only have one two-dimensional player. How is, how are you expect to win? How do you expect to win? So, while yes, I think Kyrie is who he is. Luka is who he is. And I do think that there is some truth that Luka has been difficult to play with. Because of his inability or lack thereof to want to relinquish the ball. 
But the reason the reason that Dallas is what they are is because of roster construction. This is a terribly constructed roster. Davis Bertans would be great for another team if they like. Let me see. Reggie Bullock would be great for the Lakers. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. would be great for the Lakers. Maxi Kleber would be great for Golden State. Davis Bertans would be great for Golden State. Christian Wood would be an incredible asset to, let's say, the Brooklyn Nets. No, the um, the the Miami Heat. No, because playing alongside Bam, no, 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 he'd be a great acquisition for. Hell, the probably the Clippers. Definitely Portland. <laughs> but all of them on the same team does nothing. Like it's it's just they're one dimensional players. And that's not gonna that doesn't bode well as a team. When your star players are also one, possibly two dimensional. And the, the second dimension, and that is Luca being a, a good assist guy at times, none of it is defense. They don't have a defender on this team. Not one. So, no, it's not all Kyrie's fault. It's just a poorly constructed roster, which is crazy because because of the Kyrie trade, it's probably going to look similar. To, sim, it's going to look like this next year. Unless they get someone from free agency, which I don't know if they can or if they pull off a trade, but I don't know, you know. Yeah. Lamar Jackson. Let's let's hop over to uh football just one 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 second. I've heard a lot of people talk about uh I think there's been a lot of Titles that's been put on Lamar Jackson haven't been that accurate. Like, for instance, injury prone. I don't think he's injury prone. He's been hurt before, but I don't think he's injury prone. Yeah, the last two seasons he's been hurt. He's not injury prone. In fact, Lamar Jackson played more games and was available for more games than Kyler Murray was when he got his deal and that Josh Allen was before he got his deal. Lamar Jackson played more games than before they got. Let's just stick with Josh, Josh Allen. Lamar Jackson played more games than Josh Allen when Josh Allen got got his deal. So I don't think Lamar Jackson's injury prone. And while I don't think that Lamar Jackson, I think some of the things Lamar Jackson has done, um, maybe I would have done a little differently. I am not upset at all with how Lamar Jackson has gone about this contract negotiation. But I'm starting to hear a lot of people start talking greasy about Lamar Jackson, saying X quarterback is better than him and and Y quarterback is better than him. Like, what? So what I wanted to do is I want to do a little Lamar versus. Is Lamar better than him? Is Lamar better than, like, who am I picking, him or Lamar? 
Let's start. Let's start with the AFC East. Let's just right now, let's say the Jets have Aaron uh Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers or Lamar Jackson. Well, Aaron Rodgers at the end of his career. Lamar Jackson is in the prime of his career. And you're probably going to get Lamar Jackson longer than Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson right now over Aaron Rodgers. Not the legacy of Aaron Rodgers or what Aaron Rodgers has been. I'm talking about currently right now. Mac Jones or Lamar Jackson. Yo, there was a report that Bill Belichick was shopping Mark Mac Jones. Yeah, I'm going to go Lamar Jackson. Tua or Lamar Jackson. We don't even know if Tua is going to be able to play for a whole season due to the concussion thing, which I hope that, you know, he gets to 100%. And I hope he is at 100%. But come on now. There's a reason why they continuously shop Tua. The, the biggest question right now is Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. Or a big question is Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. I will say this. We have seen a regression last year. Now, I don't know if it's just a year thing, but we saw the regression in Josh Allen. And while, yes, Josh Allen is a better arm than Lamar Jackson, that's pretty much all he had. And, of course, maybe accuracy. But he's also been playing alongside a number one receiver, which Lamar Jackson has not. And... Josh Allen was an MVP candidate and an MVP favorite going into last year, and we see how it ended. Um, I I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen. So I think Lamar Jackson would be the best team, best quarterback in the NFC East, AFC East. Let's go to the NFC East. Every single one. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong, I love Jalen Hurts, man. Jalen Hurts is a really good quarterback. Jalen Hurts just got them to the Super Bowl. But I think that Lamar Jackson is a better quarterback overall than Jalen Hurts. Better than Dak Prescott. But I don't even a Sam Howe. Sam Howe and Daniel Jones. I think Lamar Jackson would be the best quarterback in in fact, we ain't even got this didn't even have to be that long. Lamar Jackson would be, in my opinion, the best quarterback in the AFC East, NFC East. He'd be the best quarterback in the NFC North. He'd be the best quarterback in the NFC South. He'd be the best quarterback in the NFC West. And yes, I'm also looking at you, Brock Purdy. I'm looking at you, uh, Kyler Murray, and you, Matthew Stafford. He would be the best quarterback in the AFC. AFC South, the only competition he'd have is Trevor Lawrence. And Trevor Lawrence is good, don't get me wrong, but no, I think I mean, the Colts are about to draft the Colts are about to draft a quarterback. The the Panthers are about to draft a quarterback, an unproven commodity in the league. Now we get to uh, the AFC North and the, in fact, the AFC West. Lamar Jackson is not better, in my opinion, than Joe Burrow right now. That's it in the AFC North. So he would be the second. Well, he currently is the second best quarterback in the AFC North right now. In the AFC West, the question to me, no, he's he's not better than Patrick Mahomes. That's not even a come on now. The, The question is Justin Herbert. I understand Justin Herbert is so 
talented and gifted and, and everything like that, but he has he hasn't even won a playoff game. Neither is Lamar Jackson, but nobody talks about that with Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert is immensely talented. Immensely talented. But why would I not pick Lamar Jackson? So I think Lamar Jackson would be... To me, there's only... Currently, there's only... You can, you can argue. There's two unarguables that's better than Lamar Jackson. And that is Josh... Oh, no. Uh, that is... Uh, Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. Then there's arguables. Like you can argue Josh Allen, in my opinion, and I would argue he de- he de- uh, declined drastically throughout the year. You can argue uh, Trevor Lawrence. I know a lot of people would. I wouldn't, but you can argue Trevor Lawrence and his trajectory. You can argue Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert is a good argument. So you have two definites in my opinion and what three argue four maybe arguables because you can also argue Jalen Hurts so you have four arguables so you so right now questionable is Josh Allen questionable is Jalen Hurts questionable is Trevor Lawrence questionable is uh Joe Burrow not Joe Burrow um Justin Herbert so you have four questionables two definites Joe Josh Joe Burrow is better than Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes that leaves, but if somebody don't go pick up Lamar Jackson, dog, Lamar Jackson would be the best. I would think he'd be the best quarterback in one in the NFC North. And yes, that's 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 looking that's looking even with yes NFC North, definitely the best quarterback in the NFC South, definitely the best quarterback in the NFC West. Um, definitely, I think the best quarterback in the AFC South, and you can argue he'd be the best quarterback in the AFC East. Y'all better stop playing and go get Lamar Jackson, dog. And lastly, before we go, I just want to read something to y'all real quick. Nineteen twenty. 21, 21, 21, 21, 21, 21, 22, 22, 23, 24, 27, 30, 34, and 35. No, those aren't lotto numbers. Those aren't combinations. That is the ages of everybody on or every player on the Houston Rockets. They're most important players. In fact, the the 30, 34, and 35-year-old do not play. Which means from ages 19 to 27, that's pretty much the Houston Rock. I mean, the Houston Rockets. Their most important players, Jabari Smith, 19. Sangoon, 20. Josh Christopher, 21. Tari uh, Eason, 21. Jalen Green, probably their best player, 21. Kenyon Martin Jr., 22. Kevin Porter Jr., 22. Their best players are drastically younger than me. 
You know, one of the biggest reasons why it's so difficult for rookies and younger players to succeed in the NBA, at least at a young age, because the young AS, the, the, the NBA is so much faster than college basketball, so much better than college basketball. You're playing against the top tier talent in the league or in the world. If you're playing, you're playing as the best basketball players in the world. So you don't have time to develop or let me say that's not let me take that back. It's going to take a while to develop. That's why most of the young teams are terrible at defense because it's hard. Defense is the hardest thing to do in the NBA because you're going up against. Think about this on any given night in a span of three in a span of five nights. You can go up against Steph Curry, greatest shooter of all time. Next night, you can go up against Giannis Antetokounmpo, arguably the greatest or arguably well, best player ever or best player currently in the NBA. Next night, you can go up against Kevin Durant, arguably the one of the most gifted offensive players the, the league has ever seen. Then you can go up against LeBron James and Anthony Davis, arguably greatest player of all time and Anthony Davis, a walking 50 bird. Then on the fifth night, on the fifth night, you could possibly see Joel Embiid, who's probably going to win the MVP. You could see Ja Morant. You could see, like, you could see Jason Tatum. Defense is it's so hard to be to be to to defend, and it's so hard to be a good player in the NBA. Or it takes a while. That's why people like Paolo Bancaro is 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 special but even even that yo even that paolo bancaro to me winning being rookie of the year the 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 orlando magic are still 34 and 46 another young team that's currently on a what two game losing streak I say all that to say a report came out saying that um, Stephen Salas is probably not. They're probably not going to. He's not. They're not expecting him to return next season for head coach, meaning more than likely they're going to let him go. I heard. Um, I heard what uh, Nick Nurse's name be be in that report. Um I understand how important it is for a coach, right? I understand how it how important it is for a coach to connect with his players or to the to, for the players to connect with the coach. I get how important that is. But I also understand how I think you have to understand how difficult it is to coach younger players, especially a team full of younger players. Yo, the 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 Houston Rockets would be younger than a a bunch a, a lot of college teams. I think you have to have different ex- you have to have that's why veterans are so important in the league because now Steven Silas is about to be out and now it's going to be on his resume that he was probably fired or let go from the Rockets but they gave him absolutely no chance of winning the first year he got there 
James Harden bounced. Russell Westbrook bounced. Like, what are you what are you doing with that? Clint Capella bounced. Like, what are you what are you doing with that? He's never been in this I don't think he's ever been in the position to succeed. And now more than likely he's gonna be let go, which is unfortunate. So I feel bad for him, man. Again, bro, the, your best, your three best players, bro. Your three best players. Four best players. 19, 20, 21, 21. Five best players. 22. It's going to be tough. I feel bad for him, man. I feel bad for him. And there you have it. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly appreciate you guys. If you want a popular podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, links in the description below. Add multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to every listening. Please subscribe to every watching. It definitely means a lot to me. Definitely, definitely means a lot to me. Um, subscribe to the to the TikTok. Subscribe to Instagram. I'm trying to get, you know, those accounts and, you know, <laughs> trying to get more traffic there. Definitely subscribe to the YouTube. That's always number one. And uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate you guys. Until next time, much love.